You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Collected Comics Library. I'm your host, Chris Marshall. And I am Andrew Tom. And this is another special edition of the CCL where we are going to be covering Punisher Max. And tonight, Andy, we are on uh, part three, which is uh, of our series. We did Born and then we did In the Beginning. And tonight we're doing Kitchen Irish, which is Punisher Max 7 through 12 from Garth Ennis. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Then this is basically the, in theory, this is the second story arc that he wrote in. Punisher in theory, Max, and it's right. our third episode. Yeah, so it's, yeah, you're right, right, yeah. But well, it's only because he went back and did Born Again later, and we just decided to start with that. But exactly, exactly. Yeah, but this is pretty awesome. So I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. And before we do, I just want to let everybody know who's listening on the Epic Marvel podcast feed. Uh, thanks again for Curtis for putting it on his show. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, without further ado, Andy, let's get into a little bit of uh, Kitchen Irish. You want to kind of kick it off for us on uh, issue seven and where we find Frank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, let's start real quick, though. Uh, This book, uh, now, first of all, I read this in my uh, original Punisher Max Deluxe hardcover, which collects volume one and volume two, which collects in the beginning and Kitchen Irish. Right. Uh, This book, Obviously written by Garth Ennis. We, pre- we prefaced that earlier. Uh, pencilers on these are on both these stories. We did li- our last time we did this and this time are both Luis LaRosa and Leandro Fernandez. I think Leandro Fernandez the, did the majority of the work, the heavy lifting on it. More than likely the finishes are by, by him. They don't really break it down, at least in my volume of how they did the art on this. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling that Luis LaRosa may have done a lot of the character designs and a lot of the, uh, the breakdowns. Because Louis LaRosa, or Landro Fernandez, I'm sorry, uh, at the end of each issue, he actually signs the last panel, very similar to European-style artists. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I would think that he probably did most of the finishes, and LaRosa did a lot of the breakdowns. But this art is going to be the same type of art we saw in the beginning, so if you haven't read this yet, you're, gonna, you're in for more of the same. Okay. Uh, issue seven starts out with a obviously a great Tim Bradstreet cover. And this story, Kitchen Irish, is basically it takes place in Hell's Kitchen, which if you're a Daredevil fan, you're, you're very familiar with that, uh, which is called Clinton now. And really, it starts out the first issue is all set up, Chris. Yep, it is. Yeah, big it, time. It's complete setup, and this is really, uh, for lack of a better uh, uh, elevator pitch, this is just a Irish gang war in. Hell's Kitchen, right? Yep, that's what it is. Yeah, it, which is funny because 
after I get done re- reading the thing, I really look back and I'm not even really sure this is a Punisher story. To tell you the truth. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, he's in it, but it's almost the same th- kind of thing is, uh, you, you, obviously we've seen Mad Max Fury Road. I think it's yeah. an awesome movie. Uh, but that's not really a Mad Max movie either. It's, right. It's not about him. He's like the your guide through the movie. Yeah. And I kind of felt the same way with Frank in this. Frank Castle is your guide through this story, but it's really about the gang war between the Irish in Hell's Kitchen. Yes. Yep. So Frank is kind of like an innocent bystander in this. He's, you know, of course, wrong guy at the wrong time. Um, and yeah, he gets caught up in this gang war. Uh, and he doesn't really have a whole lot of dialogue in, in the story. And honestly, there's not a whole lot of action with Frank. There's action with other characters going on in the gang war, but with Frank, it's kind of like he's low key in, in this and he's, yeah, you're right. Where he's just kind of along for the ride kind of thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of the, the story is really revolving around the four different factions, right? Of this Irish gang war. Right. And right. And- Frank and then his two, uh, his two. I don't want to say partners, but the no, two they're, guys, they're British intelligence MI six kind of guys. Yeah, right. Those guys he's working with, they're they are there, but like I said before, they're kind of the the guides through this. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the the story starts out. Frank is it's really cool because the first page is this big splash page. It says Kitchen Irish Part One, and it's yep. Frank walking down a sidewalk. It's very reminiscent of the uh, certain panel in Dark Knight Returns when at the beginning when Bruce Wayne's walking down the sidewalk under a streetlight. Right. Obviously Frank's not under a streetlight, but he's walking down the sidewalk with hands in his pockets, looking at the ground and he goes into this diner and you find out later that Frank was there because he was just kind of scoping out the area because he's, he knows there's some issues with the Irish gangs around here. Yeah. Uh, Especially this gang called the Westies, which is obviously the biggest one, uh, which is kind of a, I don't want to say they're the traditional Irish gang around this area, but they're kind of an offshoot of that. They kind of grew out of it. Yeah. The Westies were a real Irish gang too, which is interesting. So oh, really? Ennis I didn't is, know that. Yeah. Ennis has really done his homework on this. Yeah. But it, Ennis is Irish though, right? Uh, or is he Scottish? Uh, Morrison is Scottish. Ennis is Irish, I think. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, but anyway, Frank is in this diner and a bomb goes off across the street, but then obviously the shock blows out all the windows and actually does a lot of damage and kills a lot of people. A lot of collateral damage. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of collateral damage. Frank luckily is kind of shielded by the other patrons that took the worst of it, but he's there as one of the survivors. Right. Yeah. And then long story short, it ends up being this, uh, this whole situation takes about, I don't know, about five pages or so. Uh, But by the end of it, there's lots of dead people. There's lots of injured people. The police come, uh, Frank has him stitch his arm up and that's pretty much it. But right after that, they kind of go into this, uh, these police talking right after this. And they're kind of talking about how that doesn't make any sense. And the one guy is saying, I think this, the bomb expert is saying, I think this is basically saying it's IRA bomb. Correct. Yep. This other guy doesn't think this other police officer doesn't think that makes any sense, but they're kind of doing this forensic investigation where there's, uh, obviously, we know because the story is called Kitchen Irish that it's going to be about, you know, Irish gangs. But he's really it doesn't make any sense because there's really been no IRA activity around Hell's Kitchen all this time. Right. But it doesn't take very long. And then they start introducing the other gang. Well, the first gang faction, really, which starts out with this character, this uh, uh, Finn Cooley. Finn, 
Finn Cooley, yeah. yeah. Which I gotta ask you, Chris, because I am not nearly as well versed in the Punisher as you I, are. Yeah, I know where you're gonna ask. So, go ahead. <laughs> okay, this Finn Cooley guy's got a really messed up face, and when you first see him, they first reveal him, you think, "Oh, that, that's Jigsaw," but Jigsaw's not Finn Cooley, is he? No. <laughs> is no, this supposed this to be the just Max got his version? face ripped off? Right. Yeah. So it, I don't really know how he got unless was he it doesn't even explain how he really got this. Um you know, I well unless he was in the bar when it happened or No, no, no. This there's a spot in here cuz I had to read this part twice. Yeah. Um there's a spot in here where he, they talk about he long before well, I shouldn't say long before, but before this this bar bomb blew up where Frank was at, he had he was he had made a bomb and it went off in his face when he was trying to set the bomb and it That's damaged right. him. That's right. Yeah, and he was he kind of it was kind of like bad karma for him, right? And that's where that came from. And so he wears this like plastic shield like pro basketball players do when they break their nose. Yeah. So he's got this thing over his face, and then they later explain far down in the story that that is there for the something about the tissue to kind of help the tissue heal and give it something to attach to or something. Yeah. So it's, it's a plastic shield. So you're looking right. That's what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a plastic shield over it and his face. Imagine two face, you know, Harvey two face, but on both sides of the face, you know, it's, it's above, above your lip. I mean, it's his head, the upper half of the face is completely exposed to blood and guts and just, uh, yeah, it's nasty. Oh know? Yeah. It's really uh, gross. But to tell you the truth, uh, is he going for a jigsaw look for this? Is he trying to trick us into thinking this is a jigsaw? I, I think so. I Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and if he does, uh, it doesn't go much further past the end of this story, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's for sure. And I can't remember if J- Jigsaw shows up in a later story or not. I don't think he does, does he? I don't think he does, no. No, so that's kind of where I was going. Yeah, is this like an ultimate version of Jigsaw? I have no idea. I don't even think it is Jigsaw. So I don't even. Yeah. So I don't know. It's very weird. He's just Finn Cooley, I guess. He's just Finn Cooley. Yeah. Yeah. So he's hanging out with his nephew, and then this other guy who's been in America for a while. Yeah, Peter is the nephew, and uh, Michael Morrison is, uh, and they're talking about the bomb that just went off and how it was kind of a a cluster. It didn't go off correctly. You know, no, it was supposed to go off when because the other bar, the other factions were there, right? There's supposed right. to be a meeting, right? Yeah, yeah. This other this bar was apparently owned by the leader of this the Westies, yeah, and it was supposed to blow up while they were there at like four in the morning or something like that. But obviously, they screwed it up and yeah. it blew up in the morning while Frank's eating in the diner across the street, and yeah. all these civilians are killed, but none of the Westies were killed. No, and another another guy was supposed to be there called McGinty, and we'll get into him in a minute, but. Um, Man, yeah, yeah, it was it was geez. it was like a it was like a hit on everybody, um, and we're gonna find out uh, why they're all meeting in the first place too. So, yeah, it's uh, these are pretty interesting characters. I mean, they do. Uh, Ennis does a really good job of fleshing these characters out. And like I did say, I had to go back and read this again yeah. because they make a lot of references in here uh, in this meeting because there's you know it's about four or five pages of this meeting with. Finn Cooley and Morrison and then the nephew. Uh, but they go about 
they're really referencing some of the other people. They're referencing the Westies. They're re- referencing the McGinty character, and then another group called the River Rats. Right. So, so they're referencing these characters, but since I haven't had any experience with them in the story yet, I'm kind of lost at this. Yeah, point. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's and a lot a- of characters. There's a lot of things going on that we don't even know yet, and it kind of all fits in. I mean, it it almost takes to the fourth issue. To, to figure out what's going on in a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I actually anyway. keep coming yeah. back to this scene a lot, actually, as I'm reading it. Yeah. I kept bouncing back to this going, okay, this is where he talked about McGinty. This is where he talked about the river rats. Yeah. Um, and Because this uh, Finn Cooley character is really, I don't want to say he's the primary gangster because this McGinty guy is pretty nasty. He's Yeah, it looks like he's the gangster. Yeah. Yeah, but this guy is an, a former IRA guy and he is a nasty dude as well so it's kind of like at first you think he is the main villain in this yeah but you're later to learn that it's all just a gang war yep uh and then shortly after that they have this meeting uh and then you switch to another scene and then this is uh the guy who owns the bar the leader of the westies and his name is uh tommy toner if i remember right tommy toner yep right and then so frank is on top of a rooftop or something and he's kind of watching what's going on he's waiting for tommy toner and his thugs to show up and survey the damage and tommy shows up but as as frank's sitting there he's got a beat on him he's about ready to probably wound tommy and take him away for questioning him and kill the other guys this van pulls up kills the two guy the two yeah. sidekicks and throws tommy toner into the back of this van and peels out of there and he's gone yeah. So he's basically kidnapped by another gang, right? Um, forgive me. I and and Frank is like, oh, well, so much for that. You know, he can't really <laughs> do much. You know, it's it's almost like a comedic role you know, right there, a comedic uh, uh, panel, you know, because he, he says, scratch that idea because he was going to take him out. But it's like, oh, well. So, yeah. And the next scene after that is yet another scene. So we've seen Finn Cooley, we've seen the bomb, we've seen Finn Cooley set up introduce Finn Cooley and his guys. We've seen the the leader of the Westies is Tommy Toner. We've yep. seen him get kidnapped. So we've been introduced to the Westies. Then this last scene before the issue ends, we see this old man sitting in a park and with his watching his grandkid play in uh, on the merry-go-round or something on, on the, yep. uh, the playground. And then this other guy is at the other end of the bench. And you know, he reminded me, I remember that old Steven Seagal movie, Mark for death. No. Well, yeah, I mean, a, I do, but I don't remember the, yeah. There was a character, he's like this drug lord named Screwface. He's like a oh, Jamaican God. drug lord. This guy reminds me of Screwface, but this guy is Irish, right? Yeah. So he basically he basically reveals, this this guy sitting on the bench with him reveals that this old man is some kind of old hitman or, or his thing was to make people disappear. But he's, he's a butcher. Kind of a, yeah. He's a butcher, yeah. Yeah. And, and then he's basically saying, are you him? And he's the guy's denying it. So of course you are. And basically the, the gangster who's on the bench with him threatens him by kidnapping his grandson and says, yeah. I need you to do a, one more job because you're the best or I'm going to kill your grandkid. So he kind of blackmails him into doing it. And so he has to do it to save his grandkid. And you don't know who he's talking about at this point. Yeah. And, but he reluctantly goes with, this guy and this guy reveals that he is the McGinty guy that Finn Cooley was talking about before. So now we've been introduced to three different of these Irish factions, right? Right. Yeah. We've got Tommy Toner's Westies. We've got Finn Cooley and his guys, which are, you know, they're part of former IRA guys. And now you've got this McGinty guy who is 
uh, he grew up in uh, Dublin, I think he said, but he's kind of a streetwise guy, right? He's got big long dreadlocks and he's oh, yeah. really muscle bound. I mean, he is a nasty dude. Yeah, yeah. And that's the end of it. Basically, he says, you know, I want you to take care of this guy and make him disappear and cut him up, but I want you to do it while he's still alive. So he's, it's nasty. And that gets us to issue eight. Yeah. So issue eight. Um, so it's interesting. It starts out with uh, two guys in a, a diner. Again, we're in another diner and uh, it is, uh, uh, what's the name? Let me pull up the name of the, uh, of the two guys. Um, Yorkie, Yorkie Mitchell and his partner, Andy. Uh, so Yorkie turns out is uh, MI6. um and international is going after IRA. That's his like handle that he, that he goes after. And somehow, you know, is Frank and they actually have a meeting with Frank. And it's interesting, Andy, because this is a, a book that we now find out that it is not a solo Frank castle story. It is almost a team up story. It's Frank and Yorkie and Andy, um, that are kind of teaming up here, um, in a way, which is, and I uh, like this too, because, yeah. You know, what Ennis does here with these two guys is he didn't use established guys that, and, and he could have with it being a Max book, right? Yeah, he could have. Yeah. But he didn't use established guys. So, I mean, it's not like he used Nick Fury. Right. Or he used Dum Dug Dum Dum Dugan. Uh, these are guys that he introduces for the first time here. So, the immediate thing is okay, I don't know if these guys are safe through the story or not. Yeah. Because if you did introduce Dum Dum or something <laughs> like that, you'd be going, oh, well, he's clearly going to live to the end of the book. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I like the fact that he created these new characters and you don't know whether they're safe or not. Obviously, Frank's going to make his way through the end of the book. Yeah. But beyond that, everybody's fair game, whether they get killed or not. Well, and it's interesting, too, because Frank always works alone, but he trusts Yorkie enough to work with him. So he yeah, really th- puts his trust in him. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. And they did say something about he knew Frank back during Vietnam when he served with him in Vietnam at some point. He did. Yeah, that's what he's and yeah, we'll go Yorkie will show up again in um in the series too. So this is not the oh, last okay. we'll see of Yorkie. So, yep. Okay. Um so yeah, they're going to team up and they're going to find out more about this gang war and they're kind of, you know, collecting intelligence and sharing information at the diner. It's a pretty quick scene. Um and they're going to go after it. But next uh scene, uh this is kind of where the action gets started. Uh the grotesque action. And uh, we're at McGinty's uh, apartment, and uh, he's there with uh, the old man. Uh, Napper French is his name, the old grandpa. And he's even there with uh, the grandson is still there, and he's even holding his hand, uh, even with a knife up to his face. And so he means business for sure. So, he, you know, the, the grandfather, uh, Napper French, tells his grandson, you'll be okay. Um, I'm just going to go do a job. And we go in there, and who is it on the on a on a steel bed, basically in this rundown apartment, but it's Tommy Toner and he is going to start basically chopping them up and taking them apart uh, limb by limb. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty nasty, uh, but you kind of know what's coming. And for a Garth Ennis book, uh, it's going to get bloody and it's going to get really bloody. So. Well, the great thing that he he does here too, is he does a lot. It's like this in a lot of, you know, uh, horror movies where they imply something is coming. Yeah. But they don't show it to you, so your imagination makes it a lot worse than it probably really is. Oh right? yeah, yeah. And this is exactly what he's going for here. I mean, he's building towards that gruesome you know, butchering of these characters, 
but then at this point we really are not seeing anything and, and i don't think any of it you actually see him do it you see the results of you it you see the results on. yeah yeah but that's that's saved as an impact at the like the last issue right so there's oh. n- not much here that you're actually seeing but man it still makes your blood curl every time you read this yeah because you know it's coming right oh for sure yep uh so you know, this is kind of where I got lost in this story, Andy, when when they introduced the river rats. Um, like you kind of mentioned, they're, they're a, another faction of uh, the gangs that that are somehow involved. But they seem to be younger and inexperienced. And I got to say, you know, they're, they're – I'm not even sure kind of why they're in this story. I, I don't think they're needed. I, I think it's too many characters in a way. Um, I would agree with that. They, they go, they kind of go after this yacht, and the cops are watching them, and you know they're river rats, so they're they're pirates basically. That's their mo, you know. But they almost come across as like wannabe Irish gangsters. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. they're you know, from the beginning. They're I, I man, I don't want to call them inept, but they're they're not nearly as as good as these other guys are at, yeah. at being gangsters. Anyway, at least the Westies have the numbers. Because they've yes. got a bunch of guys. McGinty is just straight out nasty Psycho. and yeah. vicious. Yeah, he's a psychopath. And Finn Cooley is IRA guy. You know, he's scary on his own. These they just seem like they're out of their element and they're just wannabes. Yeah. Um, and but I would agree with you. I, I don't necessarily think they were integral to the story. I think if Ennis would have trimmed them out of this story entirely, we probably wouldn't have noticed. It would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think it probably would have. Uh, so we're kind of back at, um, I, I don't know if this is the same diner. It looks like it's the same diner that we're back at. So Punisher and, and Yorkie are collecting more intelligence. And, and yeah, Andy, this is this is right. This is where um, uh, Yorkie uh, tells who Finn Cooley is. And he, he and Cooley, the reason why his face is blown up is because he had his, uh, he planted a bomb outside of Belfast police station that went off and it didn't go off correctly. Uh, and that's why he's disfigured. And then we find out how uh, Frank is involved. And Frank was tailing Michael Morrison, uh, who was in uh, the Finn Cooley gang, because he is doing work with the Russian mob. So, And the Russian mob, uh, just so if you didn't know, uh, the Russian mob plays a big connect- connection in the whole Punisher Max series. So we're going to see more of the Russian mob come up a little bit later. Um but uh, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at here, and and it's it's kind of a lot of dialogue here, not a whole lot of action over the next couple of pages, and uh, so that's where they're at, and now they're um, kind of figuring out how they're gonna do it all. So yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure you're right. I think this is the same diner, and this may yeah. even be the same meeting. It, I think it just, is the same meeting. They just didn't go anywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're still seeing the the same meeting here. They just came back to it. So. Yep. Um, and then we're back on the the for the river rats, and after their piracy, and you know, again, it's a two page little spread, um, and it just kind of shows that you know, they're infighting with each other. They throw one guy off the boat, and it looks like he's going to drown. Um, so again, I you know it's just one of those things. They're they're inexperienced. They're and they're just kind of jerks to each other. Um, and I'm I'm still not impressed with the river rat situation. No, yeah. and I don't think we're meant to be. I, I just, uh, yeah, exactly. I, 
the only complaint I have with with the including them in this story is because by the end of the story, they're still there at the end of the story, which I don't know how they lasted that long. Oh yeah, the the story. Yeah, (laughs) I mean they're getting picked off one by one throughout the story. Like this one guy getting because we don't see this guy who gets pushed off the boat anywhere. No, he looks like he's going to drown in the Hudson. Yeah, yeah, he must drown because we don't know anything. But he didn't ever shows up again. So there's one down. Yeah, doesn't take very long for another one to go down. But by the end of it, there's still there's still some of them left. But I'm trying to figure out what purpose they even served it. I, I, I honestly, th- I mean, I love the story. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I think you could have trimmed these characters out of it and been perfectly fine. Yep. Um, so again, we're we're back at the diner. Um, so it kind of goes back and forth for a little bit with you know these two scenes that are happening, and it turns out that um, that Lorimer uh, Andy, his uh, younger partner. His father was shot by uh, Finn Cooley, and that's kind of why he's in this whole operation and uh, kind of part of this thing. So he wants to get a little bit of revenge, too. Well, actually, let me correct you, Chris. He was is- shot by Finn Cooley's nephew, that nephew character. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. And, and he's after the nephew, apparently the nephew when he was 16 years old. And they identify here earlier in the story that first meeting that the nephew is old enough to drink, he says. Okay. So obviously it's been several years. So this is kind of this longstanding grudge he's had on this character uh, that Andy's had on this character to go after him to avenge his father's death. But it is the nephew of Finn Cooley he's going after. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, you're right. Okay. But his father is dead. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then... That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Right. Then the other, char- the other uh, MI6 guy... He's that more experienced guy, but this Andy character is a much younger agent, and he's yeah. really never experienced anything like this before because everything he's going through is, is kind of stressful to him, and he, he doesn't expect it, and it's right. a lot more bloodshed than he's expecting. Right. Um, so now we're back at McGinty's uh, apartment, and uh, another quick two-page scene, how uh, just things are progressing over there. Um, and I didn't write down exactly what happened here um oh um he's shipping out the body parts that's what it is yeah yeah actually he's starting to ship out the body scenes. parts yeah i love this scene because he gets on an argument with fedex over the phone the, about their the they want to charge 48 bucks oh it's not <laughs> it's not fedex either it's pedx um yeah which is meant to be or ped f which is a play on fedex yeah it's because you can't but regardless McGinty you don't want to use so FedEx when you're shipping body parts all around New York City. So no, definitely not. No, but McGinty is so mad that you want to charge him forty eight dollars for next day deli- for same day delivery. Yep. And then <laughs> it's, what really cracks me up is the service rep on the phone tells him he should try UPS instead. Right. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I'm reading this. I'm kind of laughing at the same time because you know for Ennis to put this little interaction in on him on the phone, and you're only hearing you know mcginney's reaction to right. it and he's cussing and swearing up a storm and he's just being one of those really awful customers that you oh, don't yeah. ever want to deal with when you For work sure. in that kind of business and it, it's funny to me and of course his guys are over there laying on a sofa or something cracking up laughing at the whole oh, thing yeah. so it, it's kind of this humorous you know, tarantino-ish scene out of oh ennis, <laughs> out of de- he, ennis definitely has humor you know yeah it's a dark yeah. humor but he definitely has it you know good for him yeah, I re- actually really enjoyed that scene quite a yep. bit. Um, and then we're at uh, O'Malley's Bar, and O'Malley's Bar is uh, the bar that um, 
Frank is tending bar at in the cover of issue seven. So that's oh, it is yeah. So we're back at yeah. The O'Malley's um, that's the bar. Um, oh, okay, and it seems like uh, Cooley and his cronies are there with with a couple other guys, and in through the back door is uh, is Frank with a shotgun, and uh, quite a you know quite an ending to this book um, that you know you kind of know what's coming in the in the next issue, and that's going to be a lot of gunplay uh, with Frank there in a in a bar with his. Uh, 22 yeah that's uh so, it's quite a last panel i mean i love that panel that's a great great uh look of frank in the long long coat and everything yeah, yeah I, actually i love frank in the long coat i think he always oh, looks he super looks good. cool when he's in the long yeah. coat and with a shotgun and he's got it's his real... belt full of uh of uh shells there and everything yeah yeah it's a cool shot it's a cool drawing of him and it's it just the way he's standing there just kind of like drooped over in the shadows it's, it's it it really reminds me of um, Clint Eastwood in um, Unforgiven when he goes oh, yeah. in the bar and he says, "Anybody better clear out the back." It's almost like verbatim, you know, of what Eastwood said and what Frank is saying here. So I wonder if that was a a nice play on that. That is, I didn't think of that, but you're yeah. right. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess this is back to me. Uh, issue we're going nine. with issue, issue yeah. nine right here, Kitchen Irish Part Three, and obviously we left off where Frank walks into this bar uh with you know fully armed uh almost like uh obviously he's ready to take down who he needs to take down and people run out the back door just like frank told him to and he walks up to finn cooley and then those other two guys he was with the nephew and uh, the morrison character and then for some reason i don't know why the <laughs> river rats are here they're they're coming in they're, right? they they know yeah yeah and one of the river rats walks in and the first thing you see with one of these river rats is she steps in there and Frank blows her head off. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> right with the shotgun. So one river rat down. Uh, and then Frank just basically goes to town on all the, the gangsters that are still left in the bar that didn't leave. And, and next thing you know, he shoots Finn Cooley's nephew in the knee. It looks like the calf, the thigh and the knee. He shoots Morrison in the hand and it looks like he shoots Finn Cooley in the head, but it just deflects and knocks that plastic mask off. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't actually hurt him. Uh, but right after that, Frank jumps behind the bar. They've got him pinned down. And then the, the river rats are, are part of this and they're pinning him down too. Um, the whole, the whole place is just a madhouse at this point. I mean, they're, they're throwing a grenade up over the, uh, or I think I guess Frank's throwing a grenade at them from behind the bar. Yeah, I think he, yeah, because it looks like the he yeah it looks like he's throwing the grenade. Yeah, yeah, and, and through this whole thing ends up Finn Cooley gets away, Morrison gets away, but the one left is the nephew, right? Right. So as they get out there, the two MI six guys get a drop on the nephew because Finn Cooley took off without his nephew because he's dead weight at this point. Yep, and they got him. So now all of a sudden these MI six agents have the guy that Andy was going after to begin with. And obviously, but they've got to keep him alive because they want to get information out of him. Right. So, uh, and next thing, and then as soon as this is over, we see us another shot of the river rats and the river rats are trying to tape up what left, what guys they have left. They start yelling at each other. They're damaged to some extent. And there's really the only two river rats are left. There's a couple other guys, but the main two characters for the river rats are this brother and his sister. Yeah. And they're the ones kind of in control of it. Um, uh, 
but you pretty much understand that the river rats are falling apart already. And it's, <laughs> and it's they're still out of their league. Uh, she's playing it tough, but she's like the only one with any kind of remote brains in this whole operation. Uh, next scene, we go back to Peter Cooley sitting there, Frank and the MI6 agents hold out and they start questioning him. Yeah. They got and, him dead to rights, man. They're going to, they're going to keep him. Oh yeah. And they start trying to get information. Of course he says he's not going to give them any information right away. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, uh, so these two pages I was really interested in because Frank doesn't do one bit of interrogation. No, he just stands there. He just looks like a big, he just looks like muscle, which is interesting because, um, you know, this is, this is how much he trusts Yorkie, uh, because Yorkie is doing all the questioning and it must be the right questions. Um, what they're getting out of because Frank doesn't even speak up at all. So he just has his arms crossed and lets him talk and bleed out through his mouth. Yeah, and I really like the Yorkie character, to tell you the truth. He's a cool character. Yeah, he's well, kind of Andy fun. too. Yeah. They're both good characters. I mean, yeah. Andy being inexperienced and then being shown a whole new world of level of violence for, from Yorkie yeah. and Frank. Um, it, it's really neat seeing his, you know, his life experience or his experience within this career he's chosen, you know, elevate to this level. Mm-hmm. And, and earlier, Yorkie's already told Frank that, look, the United States doesn't know I'm here. We have to, if, I don't want to have to go to the embassy. We decided to do this off the books kind of thing. Oh yeah, and, for sure. And my six knows he's there. Yeah. It's one of these black ops type things, right? Uh, so the next thing we see is we see, we're back to Finn Cooley and Morrison. And now Finn Cooley has all this tape all over his face and he's got seepage and pus and all oh, kinds of nasty. It's gross as can be. But he's, and this is where he explains what the mask was for and yep. why tape is on there. And he also explains all the nerve endings in his face are dead. So he can't feel anything anyway. And this is a messed up dude. man. Yeah. Uh, but by the end of this, and they're in a diner, which. A black diner. Thing, yeah. Yeah. And then he starts <laughs> yelling a whole bunch of racial slurs oh, because yeah. he's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not good. No, and then of course he's yelling and screaming a bunch of racist slurs because McGinty is a black character. Yep. Uh, and they're mad at McGinty. And next thing you know, he's sitting there and all these black gangsters from I'm assuming they're from some of them are from McGinty's group, come walking up behind him. Yeah. Or they're just I mean, having it, a drink at the bar and they just overheard him yelling, you know. Yeah. You know, it's just, almost like the scene in Animal House, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. They don't say if he gets beat up or not. He probably ran the hell out of that bar so fast before he could get beat up. That's what I'm thinking. Now, it's a weird thing too. Is McGinty is all tough and throwing every cur- you know curse word and racial slur around, and as soon as those guys walk up behind him, he yeah. just just mutters to himself like, "Oh crap!" You know, yeah, like, it's kind of funny. And he's got this look on it, this facial expression that Fernandez drew on him was like, "Oh man, this is not good." Because you really could leave this scene wondering, "Okay, man, this guy's dead." <laughs> oh yeah, he could be dead. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have no yeah. idea. Um, and that's one of the things that's really nice about this series is, you know, no character. I mentioned before, no character is ever safe. Yeah, and this is obviously a spot where you don't expect this to happen, and you don't know if he's going to make it into the rest of the book. I mean, if he was killed here, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it'd be disappointing. He never fights Frank, but. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, then we go back to uh, 
uh, Yorkie and Andy and Frank interrogating uh, Peter Cooley, the nephew, and they start going on. And the, the neat part is where, you know, he gets, spills up a whole thing and Frank tells him that he's going to have to take the bullets out. So he better start talking because it's going to hurt and he's not going to give him any, you know, uh, painkillers or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so he starts obviously, and this is another thing where they don't show it, you know, Yorkie and Andy leave and leave Frank in there with him to take these bullets out with a pocket knife looks like. Right. Yeah. And you just see another scene of him screaming and then Yorkie and Andy are kind of just discussing something, uh, about, I think Andy's dad and, you know, Andy's getting a little squeamish on this. He doesn't really, he's not really comfortable with the torture, mm-hmm. which he thinks Frank is doing, uh, and then right after that, we move into a new scene. We're introduced to a new character. And we didn't really see a whole lot with um, with the Westies because Tommy was captured by uh, McGinty right. pretty early. But we know the Westies are still a powerful force. And we're introduced to his wife, Brenda. And this is because some of the Westies, like the second command guy, he's received the box with body parts. I believe it's his hand or his finger or something in it from Tommy. And he takes it to Tommy's wife. And she's pretty cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to very. say the least. And she doesn't really care. And she's like, yeah, that's his hand. I'd know that hand anywhere. <laughs> and she basically pulls out an uh, like an M16 or something out of the closet. And she basically takes com- command of the Westies, takes yeah. control of it. So she's she's pretty – I almost started to wonder if she was really controlling him behind the scenes to begin with, you know? Yeah, she's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. And – I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> so she's really, I really starting to wonder if Tommy was really the head of this gang or this Irish family or whatever. Maybe it was her. Maybe it was, he was her. Just the face of, yeah. yeah, maybe it was her. It could be it. Because obviously all these other characters have a tremendous amount of respect for her. And she says something, they jump. And there could be a, a power struggle inside the Westies, but there is not. And right. she is obviously in control. So. Uh, next shot you see, you go back to McGinty's apartment where Napper, the old man, the butcher is, and he's giving him some more stuff to put in FedEx boxes oh. to send. There's a bunch of blood everywhere. He's got it all down in front of his shirt. Just he's obviously real. been working hard. He's wiping the sweat off his brow. Uh, and then you see a shot of Tommy sitting there with his eyes open. He's in shock and old yeah, man. Tommy's still alive. That's what's yeah, so crazy. Yeah. He won't die. You know? And Napper doesn't even like this. He's like, dude, he won't die. I, yeah. I don't understand. He should be dead by now. Um, and he just wants his grandson out of there, right? He's trying to save his grandson, so he wants to get out of there. And his grandson's chained to the radiator. I mean, how awful. You know, just terrible. Oh, it's it's horrible, yeah. Uh, then they switch back to Frank and the MI6 agents, where they've been obviously, quote-unquote, torturing Peter Cooley. Uh, what you learn, this is a really interesting part, what you learn is, uh, he spilled a whole bunch, and then Frank reveals to him all he did was pull the bandages off his wounds. Exactly, he hasn't even gotten the bullets out yet. Yeah. So this guy's just—he's just—he's also a wannabe. Yeah. But he's got a an uncle that's a powerful terrorist, so he wants to be like his uncle, and he thinks he's tough, and he's really not. And, and this really is also weird. where the story kind of comes together, because we find out there's the ten million dollars. Yeah. And you find out that this is all these gangs going after this $10 million that was left by this super old yeah. Irish gangster. And right? the meeting was supposed to be at the bar that 
blew up unexpectedly. Because Finn Cooley screwed it up. Because they screwed it up. So we find out. So it takes the the end of issue three to find out what exactly the first scene in the in the story was. You know, yeah, and which they're is using a long this... setup when you think about it, Andy. That's a long setup. Oh yeah, I mean we're three issues in and we're just finding this out. We're yeah. really finding out the reason all the for this gang war. exactly. But the the way he does it is really nice because he uses the interrogation of this character, this weak character who has all the information. They're using this interrogation to get us the information as the reader. Yeah, right. I thought that was really brilliant too. I mean, they could have very easily just you know did a whole issue of okay, this is the whole thing and this is going to play out. Oh yeah, for sure. But by the time you get to the end of this issue, you're like, oh, I start to see what's happening, and then of course they go into the next issue, issue four, and then and then they show it. Yeah, so the old man is named Nesbit, and he is, like you said, he looks like Gandalf. I mean, he is just so old and curmudgeon and everything, and he's kind of spilling the uh, the whole story of, uh, you know, he's got this $10 million, and, um, you know, it's just kind of his his story about everything. Um, and, you know, and the, the kid... Uh, it's just kind of spilling the whole story on what's going on and to Frank and the, and the agents and everything. Um, you know, there, it, it, it reads kind of like you were saying earlier, it reads like a Tarantino movie, you know, the way it's kind of all falling together, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, they're all kind of buying for this bounty that's going to be left to the other gangs and who can control all this money and whoever can control the money might be able to control hell's kitchen too, you know? Well, the really interesting thing, too, is they're starting to reveal a lot of this stuff, Chris, is yeah. a lot of these characters didn't like this old man. Nobody did. He, no, they. He, everybody was scared shitless of him, I think, you know? Yeah. And that's really important later on because this old man didn't like these, what he considered fake Westies. Yeah. True Irish gangsters. These This new generation didn't like them. Right. He definitely didn't like McGinty. He didn't like. Uh, Finn Cooley, uh, he didn't, and he, he definitely didn't like, didn't like the River Rats. No, right. he didn't like anybody. He didn't trust any of them, and they just right. were posers, basically, for lack of a better term. Yep. But for some reason, they all think he's sincerely leaving them ten million bucks. Right, and and so this this is kind of like another. Uh, it's kind of a weird issue, you know. It's that middle issue where we're kind of going back and forth. We see. Um, the wife, oh, what the hell was her name? I just forgot her name. Brenda. Brenda. So Brenda's kind of in her bar and she's kind of like calling the troops together and, you know, you got to stick with me kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, she's kind of just rallying her troops so everybody can follow her. Um, but she's a tough broad um, for sure. So, um, and it looks like uh, this is the setup where they're going to have another meeting, it looks like, on the USS Intrepid. Which I thought was an interesting place for a, uh, a meeting on the on the aircraft carrier, um, yeah. So they're kind of all getting together uh, to do that. So can we back up a second because yeah, I want to ask back you a question up. about a certain yeah. scene. Uh, so there's a scene um, in this during the interrogation of Peter Cooley. Right? Yeah, and in my book, this is two different pages where. Every panel 
is from a different camera angle. It's basically the same exact page reproduced on the adjacent page. But it's the same scene, different camera angle, but the exact same dialogue. And the dialogue is in the exact same spot on the page. Here, let me hold your hold. Can you hold it up? Yeah. Oh, back it up just a little bit. Um. Yeah, that's exactly what I have. Yeah, and I, and I don't. I didn't understand this. I don't understand why NS did this. Yeah, I mean, I, he's kind of. I'm assuming over. it's intentional. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's one of two things. It's either intentional, but I don't understand why he did it because I don't think it added anything to the story. Uh, if it is intentional, if it's a printing error, like they laid the the wrong um, the wrong letters over top of this page. Wait, what do you mean? Because Wait, that's the layout, but there's the same word balloons? The exact same word balloons. Oh, wait, if hold that up page, again. Yeah, the, the word balloons are in the same placement. Oh, no. You got... Nope, mine are... No, mine... Mine's different. Mine's a misprint. Yours, you got a misprint. Okay. Yep. Because <laughs> I was confused as I'll get out. Yep. Because I'm trying. So I don't have this the dialogue on this page because the dialogue on the second the page the adjacent page is the exact same dialogue in the same spot. Like they had the same, like like it was a piece of acetate. They just right. laid over the wrong. Nope. You got a misprint, art. my friend. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. So collector's item. Yeah. Right. Punisher Max hardcover volume one. If you can sell it. Print. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that, that explains a lot because I missed something there. And I was like, why would he do that? That seemed like such an odd choice. That's interesting. Huh. Okay. There's your misprint. Right, I'm sorry right there. for just derailing us. <laughs> no, that's no. okay. Um, let's see where we're at here. Let me uh, kind of skip ahead. You just talked about when Brenda's rallying the troops. And yeah, she was, and then she jumps. She jumps over the bar and everything, and she's. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we got to get to the USS Intrepid, you know, um, which is kind of weird. I always thought that was kind of weird. Um, and then we see the river rats there in their lair uh, somewhere with their boats, and they're planning it, and they're all screwed up too. Like I said, I. You know, I guess it was more interesting when we get back to McGinty's lair, you know, and we see um, the old man and the, the guy is still alive. Um, and he just he even says, why won't you die? He just, you know, he just won't die. Um, and then McGinty does the absolute worst thing. And that's bring Billy, his grandson, into the room where the grandfather is butchering up Tommy Toner. And it just scars him for the rest of his life. I mean, the poor kid, you know. Oh, my God. What a what a nightmare he's going to become, you know, later oh, yeah. on. Yeah, it's pretty horrid. Oh, I mean, it's awful. I mean, that's about anything. As, it, that might be the most awful thing in this book. I mean, for... Is bringing serious, the kid in there? Well, yeah, bringing the kid in there. It's just awful. You know, he's got oh, his, yeah. his butcher knife and he's got his blood all over his T-shirt. And, oh, just awful. Um. But you kind of get the feeling that the grandfather is going to get his revenge, which he does for sure. So yeah, we'll talk about that here in a yeah. little bit. So can can you explain the whole USS Intrepid thing? Why they're having a meeting on this boat? <laughs> I, I I don't. It's know. so bizarre, uh, you know. It, it is, and you know, it makes for kind of a cool visual because um, it does. But aren't there cops and military that? 
you know, patrol this thing. You know, it's like it's, so bizarre. It's not like you have free access to. I mean, look, let's be honest. If you if you had complete free access to walk on top of this aircraft carrier and do whatever the hell you wanted to in the middle of the night yeah. in New York City. It's going to be covered in graffiti and all kinds of other crap going on. Oh yeah, you know. And I don't understand what how there's not some kind of security here unless they've been paid off, but these are kind of you know, some of these like the river rats would not have the clout to be able to pay off security. No. McGinty wouldn't obviously isn't the kind that would do that. And the Westies definitely maybe well, and, I mean, and even about- even Frank and the guys, the the two MI six agents, they're already perched on top of a fighter jet, you know, yeah. which which is kind of interesting. So, well, and then Frank, he's he's sitting in a Huey. He's I sitting mean, in a Huey. Yeah, and maybe this is just to get the visual of him in the Huey. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I, I and maybe it's something different, right? Maybe it's. He needed to break it up other than have it not be in a warehouse. Yeah, that's, that's what true. he just did the last issue. Is he or the last uh, story? He had it, the climax take place in, in a warehouse. Yep. So maybe this is just something. Okay, I need a different setting. This is in New York City. I can use this. So all the gangs are here uh, on the Intrepid, and there's a giant firefight going out between everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, everybody's kind of going after everybody. Um, the MI6 agents and Frank are pinning everybody down. There's just bullets everywhere, bloodshed everywhere, uh, guys falling in the water. And then um, you see McGinty show up. I mean, the river rats are showing up in their boats. And McGinty shows up, and uh, Frank's in this Huey, which, by the way, when I first saw Frank in the Huey, I thought the Huey was flying, but it's not. It's it's on the deck of the Intrepid. Um, and then the last scene is McGinty and these guys. He's got a big machete. And he's right above Frank, and uh, Frank doesn't even know he's there. So, uh, you know, you know, some stuff is going to go down uh, again in the next issue. So, I do love how it seems like um, in every last uh, page that uh, that uh, Ennis does, um, it's a full page. You know, yeah, always. It's really, really cool. I really like how he sets it up. You know. It's always a cliffhanger splash page. Cliffhanger, yeah, exactly. A full cliffhanger splash page. Yep, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, you know, one thing I found that was kind of interesting too. A lot of these gang gangsters, these are these this Irish gang war. Uh, they're worried about each other. Worried about Nesbitt's intentions. They're worried about you know uh, how, what's going to happen to them if if they can trust the other uh, gang at this thing. But they already know that Frank. And is already part of this because he came in and attacked him at O'Malley's. Right. But they're not worried about him showing up here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. I was kind of like, okay, so he just shows up whenever and they're not even concerned about him. It's like, maybe we should worry about the Punisher coming at us. But... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, issue 11. I got to admit, Chris, this, this is my favorite cover. Oh, this cover series. is incredible. Yeah. And it has Finn Cooley without his plastic mask on, which for the record, he lost the plastic mask when Frank shot at him, um, and now he's wearing bandages. I think he looks much cooler with the plastic mask over top of his scars. Yeah, um, it's a much more striking visual. Um, the bandages just kind of make him look like a half-assed mummy kind of thing. He he looks like um, uh, the original Phantom of the Opera, like the nineteen thirty-two movie. Yeah, you know, it was just really weird. I don't know, yeah, was it Lon this, Chaney? I don't remember who that was. So it was Lon Chaney. Was it Lon Chaney? Lon Chaney Senior? I believe yeah. so. Yeah. 
uh, it's those movies are always Lon Chaney or Bella Lugosi. One of the oh, two, yeah, I'm pretty sure, sure that was Lon oh, Chaney. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this is a picture of Finn, a uh, painting by Tim Bradstreet of uh, Finn Cooley. Uh, he renders him without the plastic mask and without the bandages, just a scarred up looking dude, uh, holding a pint up, and you see Frank's reflection in the pint, like he's offering it to yeah. him. Yeah, so it's just a very awesome cool. cover. Yeah. Uh, I kind of am envious to whoever owns the original painting of this because it <laughs> is gorgeous. Uh, but the, the obviously in the next uh, store, the, the next issue, uh, the police show up finally, which I don't know why they weren't there to begin with. Right. Uh, but they're throwing a spotlight on this whole gang war, this whole firefight gang war going on in the deck of the intrepid. Uh, Frank is still mowing down guys. And, Obviously, we left with McGinty hovering over top of him on top of the Huey, but one of McGinty's guys slips, and you see his foot hang down. Frank catches it, and then just basically points his his machine gun up and just blows at him from the top from through the roof of the uh, Huey. Yeah. Uh, so Frank is now saved, but now they're shooting at Frank because once he stops shooting at the Westies and the River Rats they're after him now. So he's kind of pinned down inside the Huey a little bit. Uh, but obviously there starts, you know, you've got the guys on top of the, uh, the uh, fighter jet uh, from the MI6 guys. And pretty soon you start seeing some explosions. And during the course of this, here's a really gross thing. We know that Napper has been cutting up um, Tommy uh, Toner. Toner. Yeah. And then the Westies are getting mowed down left and right. Cause they got the most people there. And that's pretty much the majority of the guys that Frank's been taken out. Uh, but the right-hand man of Brenda used to be the right-hand man of, Ton- of Tommy Toner. Uh, all of a sudden, they come up on – someone tosses, you don't know who, tosses Tommy Toner's severed head in front of Brenda. Oh, so wicked. <laughs> and it is so disgusting. I mean, it's a <laughs> severed head. His lips have been cut off. His oh, yeah, his lips are removed. cut off. I didn't even notice it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, his lips are cut off. His scalp has been removed. Oh. It is just disgusting. Uh, but of course she, Brenda's mad. Uh, she looks over and all of a sudden her right-hand man has McGinty's machete in his face. So there's another guy down. Uh, the Westies are falling apart. Uh, McGinty's really the only one coming out of this in any kind of good shape right now. Yeah. Uh, the river rats are not even an issue. I don't even think they've engaged really yet. Uh, but McGinty's kind of, I mean, he lost some guys on top of the Huey to Frank, but he seems to be okay. He escapes down as crawling down a cable or something. Frank crawls down a cable. Finn Cooley's already in a raft. Uh, Brenda gets away, but she falls in the water. And now the river rats, one of them gets shot and they're down to the last two. Yeah. I mean, everybody's falling apart. Right. And long story short, by the end of this firefight, you know, Finn Cooley is standing back on i don't want to say shore he's back on the docks uh several people dead several people blown up uh the river rats are a mess i think the only one left at this point is probably uh the sister which is the leader right uh mcginty's left and he heads back to his apartment where napper is and of course napper is done he's done the whole job and you know he's but he's waiting. Ahead and, yeah. Yeah. But he's waiting and he walks in Napper hits him in the head with a fire extinguisher and drags his butt right into the same room. That he was butchering up Tommy Toner. Oh yeah. And he's and, got a, his saws and everything laid out just ready to go to work. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and, and at this point, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I'm kind of glad. You know, it's kind of like when you were watching that. Uh, what was that show about the serial killer? That was the good guy, Dexter. Oh, Dexter, yeah. It was almost like a Dexter moment where you're kind of like, okay, this guy's going to get what he deserves, yeah, right? Yeah. But they, they cut from that scene and they go back to Frank and the MI6 guys and they're back with Peter Cooley um, eating a sandwich. <laughs> and then basically they basically explain to him, hey, um, we're going to we're gonna treat you right. We're going to give you a sandwich. But they're still threatening him too. <laughs> give him a sandwich. And now we're starting to see also, they go to another scene and we're starting to see Finn Cooley and Brenda Toner are now kind of an uneasy alliance, right? They're They're like, okay, we've been you know, completely, you know, wiped out here. We've got to come to some kind of agreement, what we're going to do yeah. to, but they don't, they still don't trust each other. Right. Um, but they, they understand what the end goal is, and is to get Nesbitt's inheritance. So they start working up a plan, right. And they go back to another scene with the river rats. Oh, I'm sorry. The brother is still alive at this point, but of course he's been shot. Uh, and I, I be honest, I can care less about the river rats. <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah. They're, they're just so worthless characters. And like I said, we said before that they're not in it. It's fine. But uh, river rats are, they're falling apart. Uh, Finn Cooley's, I mean, he was only three guys and his nephew was captured, but it's pretty much him and Morrison. Uh, they go back to interrogating Peter Cooley. They start getting more information out of him. Uh, and then, you know, Peter Cooley thinks they're just a bunch of jerks. And he says, no, dude, I'm a soldier. I have you know, no personal stake in this. I'm just doing my job, which is really neat with Yorkie. Cause you really learn a lot more about his character, right? You're learning that why Frank trusts him mm-hmm. because, you know, he almost, tr- I almost get the feeling like he is the least invested character in this whole story. Meaning. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. He, he, it's a job for him he has no personal vendetta. Like Frank has, you know, vengeance for his family or whatever. Uh, Andy was wants to get vengeance for his father. Yorkie is just, this is my job, dude. That's his job. Yeah. Yeah. And he he has no feeling when we're at this guy dies. He didn't care. So, I mean, I think that scares Peter Cooley more than anything too. Yeah. Uh, But we go back to McGinney's apartment and we see McGinney laying on this bed tied up to it. We see old man Napper. He's now hung a bunch of plastic and visqueen and stuff all around the room, just like in Dexter. Oh, yeah. He's sharpening his butcher cleaver. I mean, he's just, you know what's coming. And this is one of those tension-building pages, right? Uh, the way it's laid out, and it's one panel. The funny thing is the first panel is a small, narrow panel, landscape style at the top. It's kind of blurry. They put like a blur effect on it, like he's waking up. The next panel is him with his eyes wide open. The next panel is him struggling. And each panel is getting a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. Right. You get to the bottom one, you see the old man sharpening his tools. Oh. So it, he's building up the tension with the panel. It's brilliant, really. Uh, we go back to the Punisher and the MI6 guys at the last panel in the, in the issue. And Punisher is sitting there, you know, cleaning his weapons, getting ready for another firefight. <laughs> yeah, again, this is kind of weird because Frank, he's not saying a whole lot in this whole storyline, you know. No, Everybody else is, is doing the like, talking for him. So Yeah, like we said in the beginning, this is not a Frank story. No, it's not. <laughs> this is, no. This is totally about the the gang war. Yeah. Like it's just issue 12. Yeah, so issue 12 uh really starts out um 
you know, back at McGinty's uh, apartment, um, and, uh, you know, French is just ready to go to town on him, uh, pulling the knives out, saying, you know, what he's going to do, um, you know, and just, uh, I guess, um, what, where's the scene? Um, he, you know, he's kind of going after, he, you find out more about French and he knows who Nesbitt is, the old man is, um, and he begins to cut off his fingers even. And what's really gross is, um, you know, everybody's naked. <laughs> so he, they all took off their clothes and that was like really bizarre. Um, and McGinty's guys come back, um, to the, to the lair and just find uh French and they just, they shoot him in the show with a shotgun and you know, the French can't live. There's no way, oh. you know, he just can't. No. So then well, they, I, what's that? I think, I think this is partly, he's kind of like lost it at this point though, too. Yeah. After he's lost. They it. corrupted his grandson. Oh yeah. I there's mean, no redemption. He went him. full serial killer mode. He hung up all the plastic. Yeah. He's completely naked. And he's naked. He says in here because he doesn't want to screw up his clothes. Right. Exactly. Which are already but bloody. Right. Yeah. It's full psychopath here yeah. or sociopath, whatever you, whatever the term would be. Yeah. But it's, yeah, he is clearly gone yep. at this point. And I think that's important that you understand that McGinney pushed him over the edge. Because McGinney could have just, if he hadn't shown the grants on this deal, this probably wouldn't have happened. It probably wouldn't have happened. Right. Do no. the job and then you're you're free to go kind of thing. But he pushed yeah, it I, too far. Yeah. And it's not that I think McGinney is an honorable character. I just think that he was like, okay, this guy has nothing you know, on me. Right. I mean, I blackmailed him. I used him. There's no reason to keep him. Right. Yeah. Because he didn't expect him to be there oh. when he came back to the apartment. Yeah. But I am kind of surprised that McGinney came back by himself. But yeah, that was kind of weird story, too. Like, where, why wasn't he with his cronies? Unless, you know, they got lost in the firefight and he just got the hell out of there and just went back to, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And some of them were killed, obviously. But yeah. I can't imagine he would be walking in there alone. But yeah. Like I said, it served the story. So, um, I think it's interesting. So McGinty leaves with his cut up hand and he goes to find Cooley and, uh, Brenda and they kind of all meet up and they're like, okay, now we, now, now instead of two gangs joining, you've got three gangs basically joining Andy. And, um, you know, they're kind of like, what are we going to do, uh, with this? And kind of like, again, you know, kind of come together and then. In walks the river rats. So all the gangs are there together. Um, and they realize that the only way out of this is if they kind of team up and then, you know, kind of, I guess, split the money if they can even get the money. Um, because uh, they're not even sure, you know, how they're going to get the money, I guess. I'm kind of curious. I'm just surprised that that Brenda and McGinty even have, and Finn Cooley for that matter, have any respect for the river rats at all? Why do they even know about know. them? I don't know why Ennis <laughs> put these characters in this book. I, I don't care about them, you know? No. I mean, I, he, he makes them so inept at, their, at what they do that I, I don't understand why Brenda, especially Brenda, has any respect for them at all. No, and it seems like, you know, Brenda's turned out to be a cool, cool villain. Cooley is an incredible villain. And then McGinty is the best villain. And you've got oh, these yeah. other stupid river rats. It's a terrible name, even the river rats. It sounds like it came out of like the 1980s Punisher. You know, it's just so stupid. Yeah, I just, I don't understand. They're just pirates. They're just stupid <laughs> pirates. Uh, yeah, on the Hudson River. It's like they would have been caught, you know, for sure. 
Um, oh yeah, and it's not like they wouldn't have been caught by the police either. I mean, they're just they're inept at what they do. Yeah, and I, I can't believe they're doing as well as. <laughs> so then uh, you know they're they're back on the the river, and then they go to this uh, freighter, uh, which again I believe this is believe it's on the Hudson River again, um, and uh, you know Punisher and the and the the British agents are are following them in their own boat. Um, so I I couldn't understand why. Maybe you can explain this to me, Andy. They were all together in the bar, and now they're on a freighter. Why did they have to leave the bar to go to this freighter? Because this is where the 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 clues led them to. Is this where the, the money the, is? Yeah, because okay. they all had, in theory, okay. I mean, okay. for lack of a better term, it wasn't exactly this, but let's say they all had a, a certain section, if you you know do it like an old adventure film, they all had a, a quarter of this treasure map. They got, right. Like, I'm sorry. Put, I should have mentioned the map. You're right. They had the map. Yep. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really a map, but it was all, yeah. they all had a clue and all the clues had to be put together to find out where this $10 million was. And it just happens to be on this freighter in the river. Right. So, so okay. while they were in the club and all four of them come together, they can assemble all the clues to find it out, find out where the tre- not treasure. Yeah. It sound like a pirate movie <laughs> uh, to find out where the, this, uh, this inheritance is. And that's how they do it. Like, it's really just a simple, you know, pirate story. It is really, really. Yeah. I mean, it's just a treasure map. All four pieces got to come together. Yeah. Or, and then once they all come together, you can see where the map is. So Frank's just kind of tailing them and uh, they ambush him. And then uh, is it, is it Frank that chews um, Cooley's face off? I think, yeah, it is. It's yeah, it was Frank. Yeah, so Frank, you know, he's kind of uh, in a hard place. He gets up and he just takes a bite out of his face, which is so gross. That scene is just so nasty. Um, and so that's probably the most gruesome scene in the book, other than you know, yeah, Tommy that's head. it's really bad. So um, they're all just kind of um, just a firefight ensues, and they, uh, you know, they kind of get away. Um, you know, Frank and everybody they kind of pull away. There's a bomb and. Go figure. They get to the the treasure, as you call it, Andy. And there's three seconds left, and all the main characters, all the main villains are there, all four. And uh, lo and behold, it blows up. So even in death, the old man Nesbit blows them all to hell, um, which is really kind of uh, you know unexpected. I thought it was kind of interesting. So talk yeah, I about. I didn't think it was that unexpected. I did. I thought. Yeah, I thought somebody was going to get the money. Yeah. Oh, did you? I thought somebody was going to get the money. Yeah, but nobody got no. the money. So well, they all talked about what an evil guy he was. Now they all hated him and this and that. Yeah. And you couldn't trust him, and he was so tight. And you know, yep. they were t- the, the one part that really kind of clued me in though is when they were talking about how cheap he was and how he would negotiate on even the smallest things and how just cheap he was. So I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he's going to leave these people he doesn't like his his fortune. Well, that's the thing. So I don't even think some- there was any money in this bomb. No, no the money's not was. there. It's just a bomb. So somebody, if there even money. was any money, yeah. You know, how do you like uh, that explosion um, splash page that they have? How, you oh, know, I think it looks great. How, how do they do a color like that? Uh, a really oh, bright a yellow effect. explosion. Uh, that's some kind of likely a digital effect. I would imagine a digital effect. That is just really cool. It's just so yeah, bright we were, on the page. Yeah, when this book came out, it was early 2000s, so we were on the you know verge of you know they came out of the 90s when they were doing digital coloring, yeah. so we were starting to get some of these digital overlays and effects and and things. So I would imagine that's probably what that is. You want to finish it up here? Yeah. Um. So it, it's the next day, and um, 
Andy takes Peter Cooley and he's in the trunk um, and he holds a pistol to him and he takes him to a building. Um, and uh, so does he... I'm trying to think. Does he let him go? You don't know. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know if he lets him go or not. I guess that's the that's the answer. So, um, you know, he takes him behind the building, and, and the guy and Yorkie's pretty much okay. Take him back there and kill him. Yeah, because that's what we came here to do. And it's out of the way, and they won't find him for. I mean, he basically says it's out of the way. You won't find him for a few days. But then Yorkie and Frank are talking while he's doing this deed, and the next thing you know, I mean, Andy comes back. I think and he so killed. You don't him. know. I got a feeling he killed him. I think he did. Because he says, I mean, he gets back in the car, and he's like, you all right? And he gives him back the gun, and he says, I, I don't feel any different. So yeah, I have to assume he killed him. You have to assume that he killed him. Yeah, which is, that might scar him for a lot. You know, he says, my dad's still dead, and I don't feel the slightest bit different. Um, And, and then Yorkie says, look at old Frank there. He's been doing uh, this for 30 years. And you'd think he'd feel any different. And they kind of look back at him. And Frank just, as as he we saw him in the beginning walking down the road, uh, Frank again is walking down the road. Um, uh, going. Yeah, it's like the same shot. It's the same it, shot, it's, yeah. yeah. But his arm the is, is Frank's got Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Arm in a sling. It's a different sidewalk, but same shot. Exactly. Same pose. Yep. A little different camera angle, but that's pretty much it. But a uh, really good story. Um it's really interesting how, you know, um, this isn't the Punisher story. It's a gang war story. Yeah, yeah. And if, if Kitchen so, Irish sounds familiar to everybody, um, it was the gang. Kitchen Irish is a gang on Daredevil season two on the Netflix show. So that's why you might uh, kind of know of this. And Finn Cooley is actually in the TV show as well. So, um you, he is. I don't remember him. Finn Cooley is. Yep, he's in it, and so is uh, Nesbit. Um, I'm. And, and in fact, after reading this, um, I kind of want to go back and watch season two of Daredevil uh, with the the um, with uh, the uh, Daredevil series. Yeah, that's the one with Electra and the Punisher in it, right? Correct. Yep, that's where they introduced Punisher. They introduced Punisher in right. season two of Daredevil. I might have to watch that yeah. again then. So. Different, different. Uh, it's not this. Uh, it's not this though. So uh, it's a little bit different. So, but it's kind of cool that they used uh, Ennis's um, inspiration, I guess. So yeah, it's definitely cool. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on here real quick: the the version I have, this misprinted version of Punisher Max hardcover yeah. volume one. Uh, it does have something really cool in it. It's got some a couple pages of Punisher designs by Louis LaRosa. And the first page we see is the designs that we're familiar with that are in the story where he's kind of this, you know, 50 year, 50 year old man or so. He's very grizzled looking, um, got a lot of scars and whatnot. And the next page, if you flip it over, is an, another Punisher design that Leandro Fernandez did. Uh, and this is a more... Uh, a younger looking Punisher. He's leaner. Uh, he doesn't look as grizzled. He's not as scarred up. It looks, to be honest, he looks very similar to like what Brian Hitch would do. Okay. As far as his art does. I'll hold it up here. I know the listeners can't see that, but. Oh, that's uh, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of what leads me to believe that 
that Louis LaRosa did most of the character breakdowns and a lot of the designs. Uh, but overall, this is an, an amazing story. Um, great book. And, you know, it's part of the Punisher Max, which is highly recommended anyway. Oh, yeah. Where does that leave us, Chris? Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the collected editions. So you mentioned it's in uh, a hardcover, uh, doubled up with In the Beginning. Um, it, I believe it must have its own trade paperback. And, uh, of course, it's in the Punisher Max Omnibus, which is what I have. So that's yes, uh, and that's what I got. There's also the within, complete that's the back, Garth Ennis. Ooh, that is nice. Yeah. Uh, there's also the complete Garth Ennis Punisher Max trade paperbacks you can the get. trade paperbacks. Yes, yes, yes. And we revealed last time we did this uh, that Eric uh, over at Cowabunga Comics had a special going on. I don't know if he's running that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were quick on the draw, you were able to get one of his cool deals on that. And but I'm sure he can still get get you the books, whether the same price or not. It's I don't know what their website has. But you can definitely get those books. They are out in the market, whether you go to Calabunga or InStock Trades or over to Amazon, you can get those books. And that is uh, Garth Ennis Punisher Max Complete Edition. Those are trade paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they're not available on Hoopla. I know a lot of our listeners use Hoopla to read some things from their library. Uh, this is not currently available. In fact, there's not much Punisher on Hoopla right now. Right. There's a few trade paperbacks. It's about it. I think about four or five of them. And they're mostly newer stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a little too violent for your local library, I guess. So, which is that? But there is a lot of violent <laughs> stuff far. on uh, on Hoopla. You know, just not the Marvel. That's stuff, for sure. You know, yeah, go to the image section. You'll see all. Oh that. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, what? So, um, I really liked the story. I was, I had forgotten a lot about this story because a lot of the stuff, and I kind of mentioned it on the other um, podcast we did on Punisher Max that. Uh, you know, you kind of lose track of, of it. And if you read a lot of Punisher, it all kind of runs together, especially with the Mac stuff. But uh, I, I liked it, but I, I did forget how much uh, of a character Frank was not involved, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, he was really a little quiet, not a whole lot of action until we get to, you know, issues four, five, and six. Um, you know, this early issue, I mean, the one scene at the bar, Early on was about it. There wasn't a whole lot of Frank, you know, uh, beating every. Not like in the beginning where there was a lot of more firefighting. It seems. So. Yeah, I think uh, you know. Granted, this was only the second story he wrote in the Max line, uh, but I th- I think that he was really spending part of the reason we didn't see him as much. He spent so much time developing those gangs, right, mm-hmm. and those characters there, and. With the fact that this is a completely different story, it's not nearly as comp. It's more complex, I should say, than in the beginning is. Right. Even though that had a lot of complexity to it, this one is definitely much more complex because you're really, you've got to interweave the relationships between all these different factions and why their motivations are doing what they're doing. Yep. Uh, and and that's part of the reason I think he has Frank be such a tertiary character in this too, right? I mean, he's just like I said, he's there as your guide through this story. If it wasn't for Frank, we wouldn't be here to begin with. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and to tell you the truth, I'm not entirely sure that it wouldn't have ended the same way if Frank wasn't even involved with the story. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's a really good story. Granted, I had my problems with the River Rats. I thought they were unnecessary, to say the least. Uh, but overall, the story was really well done. Uh, the characters were really well done. Uh, there was 
darn near every situation they were put in was logical and made sense and drove the story further. So it's a really good story. Like I said, I did have a few problems here and there, but beyond that, uh, I think it's really worth your time. Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Cool. So, uh, next up, uh, when we get to it is going to be mother Russia, which, um, uh, that is going to be really cool. It is, uh, of course, uh, writer is Garth Ennis, but penciling that Andy is going to be Doug Braithwaite and inking by Bill Reinhold uh, and the colorist Ooh. Raul Trevino. So looking. Is that Bill Reinhold of Ghost Rider fame? It is. Yeah. Yep. Really? Yep. I didn't know so that. So that'll be really cool. And um, there is going to be an appearance from uh, Nick Fury in that one, too. Ooh, I'm looking forward so to it. Yeah, Russia. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I am uh, a, a fan of Doug Braithwaite's work. I think he does some really nice, pretty work. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. I think his style fits Punisher, let alone Punisher Max very well. And I'll be honest, I was very happy with Luis La Rosa and Leandro Fernandez. Oh, and for these sure. Two yeah. stories. I think they did an amazing job. Uh, it's hard to top Derek Robertson, and I, I won't say they did top, top Derek Robertson yep. uh, from Bourne, but they did a pretty good job anyway, so yeah. no complaints here. All right. Anything else? You want to wrap it up? Yeah, uh, we can go ahead and wrap it up. Let's let me uh, finish my book here and uh, take a quick swig from my Irish whiskey. Ah, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, Jameson Black Barrel. Very nice. I figured it would be appropriate since we're doing Kitchen Irish to do uh, some Jameson and the I'm drinking water. Black Barrel. So I'm just, yeah. You are a much more, well, much better person. Well, than I, I drank am, last I night. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Collected Comics Library. And if you like what you heard, I'd like you to please subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear more from us, you can join our free Slack channel at bit.ly slash CCL Slack. And if you want to email us, you can email us at collectedcomicslibrary at gmail.com. Yep. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Andy. And thanks to everybody who is listening to this on the Epic Marvel Podcast feed as well. Yeah.